Hello, faithful listeners. This is Pastor John Clowder from Faith Lutheran Church here in Forest Lake, and we are so glad that you are listening online to our online podcast. Welcome you to worship anytime on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 10.30, and thanks for being here. Thanks for participating in worship with us as we look forward to the week ahead. A reading from the book of Jeremiah. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will live in safety. And this is the name by which it will be called, The Lord is Our Righteousness. A Gospel reading from the 21st chapter of Luke. There will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and on the earth, distress among nations, confused by the roaring of the seas and the waves. People will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and with great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, stand up and raise up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Then he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees, and as soon as they sprout leaves, you can hear for yourselves, you can see for yourselves, and know that summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life. And that day catch you unexpectedly, like a trap. For it will come upon all who live on the face of the whole world. Be alert at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that will take place and to stand before the Son of Man. The Gospel of the Lord. Grace and peace to you, my friends in Christ. The days are surely coming. When those promises will be fulfilled, the wait will be over. So the question I have is, what are you waiting for? I mean, we've got an entire month of our year devoted to waiting. So if you are the type who loves to just be patient, maybe delayed gratification is your MO, this is the month for you. I'm just guessing here, but perhaps that's not the case for most of us. If any of you are like my kids, you probably hate Advent. Why can't we just skip right to Christmas? Why build up all of this excitement and tensionality, thinking about something that is like so far away? It's just not fair. I think my kids would prefer it if Christmas just snuck up on them. You know, Edison woke up on Friday morning and he turned to me and said, Dad, is it Christmas today? No, not yet. It was Thanksgiving yesterday, buddy. But instead, what do we do? We prolong the wait. 
I mean, we, we make our kids have advent calendars, elves on shelves, preparations for a Christmas program that's even halfway through the advent season. These are constant reminders that it isn't Christmas yet. But think about waiting throughout our lives. I mean, there's a lot of things that we wait for. Some things are completely out of our control. And some where we we can kind of predict when the end will come or when that wait will be over. Some of those arrivals can be predictable. Maybe we're waiting for a special uh, accomplishment that we've worked for. Or a milestone. Or a birth. Maybe a visitor who's coming. Some of those waits might produce anxiety. For example, waiting for the results of a test that we've taken. Waiting for the results of a medical diagnosis. Maybe it's the end of a deployment or just waiting for someone's heart to heal at the end of a relationship or the death of a loved one. I believe companies have seized upon our impatience when it comes to waiting. They've, they've definitely capitalized on it. Thank you, Amazon, right? If you want something, you can have it delivered immediately. You could be sitting in your pew right now or at home and you could order something and it might even show up today or early tomorrow. A package ordered can arrive as fast as we want it, depending on how much we're willing to pay for it. Now other companies have copied this model, and so if we want to go gro- if we want groceries without going shopping or get Black Friday deals without having to stand in those lines, we can have it. Or what about watching a movie without having to wait for it to show up on video? Kids these days don't know the agony of waiting for that movie to show up on video. Industries have realized is the thing that we're willing to pay for the most is not having to wait. But what about the big stuff? What about waiting on those societal changes? You know, the hopes for a new and better tomorrow? You know, the pursuit, as Jeremiah even called it, the days when the Lord will execute justice and righteousness. What about that? Does that wait ever end? Waiting for the end of poverty or homelessness, perhaps equality based on things like gender or race or sexual identity. I mean, those are some pretty daunting tasks. So how much longer must we wait for that? Once upon a time, I was sitting in a pew, and I heard that call. As I was sitting in the pew in Shepherd of the Hills in Edina, I I heard this cry for justice and righteousness. And something stirred up inside of me, and I said, wow, this is, this is what I'm called into. This is something that I could do through the church. Today, we call that social justice, how our church has a role in bringing equality and wholeness to the world. These aren't things that can happen overnight, and they certainly didn't happen overnight in Jeremiah's day. And I know that we tend to focus on the stories of the gospel of Jesus. And, and the reading from Luke might be the one that captures our ima- imagination the most. But if you want to hear what I had to say about the apocalypse, just go watch my sermon from two weeks ago. Are we waiting for that to happen? Because I don't believe there's a moment in our chronology or a set time that we're waiting for. Yet in God's time, We know that through all of this, God is with us. But I do believe that the people of Jesus' day did rely heavily on the stories of their past, on different stories of previous eras. 
Did you know that the majority of the Old Testament was actually written during a period called exile? During the Babylonian exile. A lot of the stories that we read to this day, which might feel like they stretched over centuries, generations upon generations, didn't get put down onto paper until the Babylonian exile. A period that spanned less than 100 years. And so that's where we hear stories of people like the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah has a message to the people during the exile, and it's got a different message each time. But kind of the prevailing message is turn back to God, stop being tempted by idols, stop being tempted by these things other than God, and repent, turn back to God. And so Jeremiah was a lot like the Apostle Paul. Many, many years later, the Apostle Paul has many of his letters documented, and think about how much of the New Testament is is written by Paul. Well, much of the Old Testament is written by prophets. Much of the Old Testament is written as stories of hearing the word of God in the the life and in in the midst of the people. And so Jeremiah's arc, his narrative arc, is kind of a message to the people in exile that that kind of follows this sharp critique, but then also lament and despair when people don't listen, but then eventually pointing to something really important. Points to hope. It's likely that a lot of his later writings, much like the Apostle Paul, relied on his disciples, his followers, his people who came along next to him. And so they were the ones who were able to make sure his uh, message got carried over for generations to come. His narrative really does, does cover this period of banishment. You think about how this exile from Jerusalem and the fall of the temple, it really does happen between the years of uh, 609 B.C. and 583 B.C. There there are four deportations of the Jews out of Jerusalem during that time, and the siege of Jerusalem uh, kept having these surges of people getting kicked out. And so it wasn't until 539 B.C., think about that, quite a few years later, when the Persians come and they conquer Babylon, that you realize this other ruling power defeats the people that conquered them when the the people are finally allowed to return to Jerusalem, to their homeland. But even after that, it still took about 15 to 20 years for, for the Jews, if they wanted to go back to Jerusalem, to be able to do it. And guess what? A few generations had happened, and people didn't want to go back. They'd found a new home. They were able to find a new life. According to the Old Testament historian Mark Thronvite, uh, one of my professors at Old, uh, Luther Seminary, he talked about the situation in Babylon. Even though it's not very well documented, a lot of those deportees refused to return to Jerusalem. And it seems safe to assume that because of that, it's because they had this measure of autonomy. Life wasn't that bad being uh, sent to exile. And here's some more uh, perspective. Think about it, in the middle of all of this chaos, What do you think the people are thinking when they're walking away? What's their hope? When they turn around and they see their city on fire, are they thinking, wow, I can't wait to come back to this? It takes generations for the people to actually have the opportunity to go back home where a lot of that's been forgotten. And so that hope that maybe they're having as they're walking away that that this land could be given back to them, it's one of those things that just doesn't carry over from generation to generation, generation, and life happens for them. In their time of waiting, their priorities change, their priorities shift, the realities of a new life have emerged, and they realize something pretty important, that God who was only in that temple 
is now with them wherever they go. God was present where the people were. God was present and was with them in their hope. And justice meant something different to them in exile. Justice no longer meant that the people would receive what they had originally had, but justice meant that the people could recognize the circumstances of God being present with them in whatever their circumstance was. You see, justice in the ancient world, it wasn't an abstract concept. It was always a personal practice of care and attention to the needs of others. In particular, the vulnerable ones, such as widows, orphans, and strangers. So no matter where the people went, Prophets like Jeremiah were going to call out injustices. Just because they weren't in Jerusalem, just because they weren't in their home, didn't mean that the laws put down by God no longer applied. So each generation had to remember this. That yes, this could have been a rough situation, but there were people within that situation who, were de- who had an even bigger struggle. And so how do you walk alongside of them? Each generation after Jeremiah heard those words anew. And one of those generations, about five to six hundred years later, interpreted the words of Jeremiah as a promise of a Messiah. And they connected that revelation to dot, 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 Jesus. It's a story that lives on in our lives to this day, right? I mean, this is how we look back at Jeremiah and we look back at Luke and we think about how these stories, which are really old and written down a long time ago, can still have new and fresh meaning for us. What does our generation do? Especially as we name the elephant in the room. What do we do with COVID in this time of feeling like we're in exile? We're reminded that this pandemic, even though we hope to be in a post-COVID world, just hasn't run its course yet. So how do we live in exile? How do we live knowing like those people in the Babylonian exile? Many of those people went in different directions. Nothing remained the same, even when it was over. We've had a lot of time to process and make decisions. And through it all, I want to make the argument that our attitude through COVID matters. Michael J. Fox, right? You know, you think about some of the things he's been through, especially with his battle with Parkinson's. He, spent, he said in his book, he, he wrote, don't spend a lot of time imagining the worst case scenario because it rarely goes down as you imagine it will. And if by some fluke it does, you will have lived it twice. Wise words. Because thinking about our lives with a worst case scenario, I mean, what happens when that happens? We're frozen, and we don't necessarily see a way out. We also tend to get selfish, and we don't see hope. We don't see God at work. So what if we do the opposite? What if we live with a best-case scenario in our worst-case situation? And I know what you're thinking, but Pastor John, what about the South Africa variant? Yeah, yeah, I know. It's super contagious. It's... It's going to be worse than the Delta variant. Things are going to continue, and things could get really bad. But those are things beyond our control. What can we control? We can control our attitude. We can control how we model, how we treat our neighbor. We can control our approach to each other. We can control our best-case scenario attitude in a worst-case situation. In the secular world, we call that optimism. In theological terms, we call it hope. 
So how will we share hope with our neighbors who might believe differently than us? How will we share hope with our neighbors who have chosen a different path on this exile journey? And most importantly, in our exile, how are we going to continue to hear and respond to the cries of justice, or cries for justice that come from our neighbors? Because just because COVID is happening, and just because COVID affects all of us, COVID hasn't affected all of us in the same way. Think about it. We have neighbors seeking shelter who need food. We have neighbors in the midst of COVID who are fleeing their homelands in search of safety. So what's God calling us to do in all of that? You know, I I mentioned at the beginning during our announcements that we're going to become a circle of welcome congregation. One thing I intend to do this week is to watch the training videos so that I can be part of that. So I can walk alongside a family that might be arriving in Minnesota by the end of the year. These families are coming soon. Just because of COVID, we can't put the needs of others on the back burner and only worry about our own self-preservation. So I turn it back on all of us. How is God asking us to live out our best case scenario life? Because if by some fluke it goes down as we imagined it, we'll have lived it twice. Isn't that great news? Isn't that amazing how we know that when we are striving for justice and righteousness, God is already doing the same thing. God is already out in front of us doing the same thing. What kind of impact do you think we can have on the world if we are living out our best case scenario life? I can't wait to find out. Amen. Well, that's it for this week's sermon. Thank you for joining us. Look for more information on faithfl.org or certainly reach out to the office if you would like to receive weekly email updates. Thank you.